Before this week's episode, I want to tell you about Starting Out. It's Digiday's latest podcast hosted by our very own Shireen Batuk. We talk to leaders in the marketing industry about the ideas that inform their prominent voices and big decisions in the business today. We have guests like HP's Antonio Lucio, GE's Linda Boff, and agency leaders like Jeff Goodby on the show. Find out more at digiday.com or subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Anchor.fm. Hello and welcome to Digiday Live, our podcast where we bring you the best sessions from our many summits around the world. I'm Aditi Sangal, and this episode is a session from the Digiday Video Summit that we held last week in Scottsdale, Arizona. Video publishers are now realizing there is no jackpot guaranteed at the end of the video rainbow. So what do the new strategies look like? Barstool CEO Erica Nardini says video for them makes sense if they own the IP to the content they produce exclusively and in their own environment. Not a network, not Netflix. Listen in. Erica, I, I want to talk to you about sort of how Barstool is approaching uh, the merchandising uh, side of the business built the company. Um, yeah. uh, but I want to start with some of the, one of the newer things that you guys are doing, which is the rough and rowdy brawl. Mm -hmm. uh, could you quickly explain what that madness actually is? Totally. So are there any Barstool fans here? Uh, awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Um, do you remember the original rough and rowdy video? Anyone? So Dave Portnoy, who's the founder of Barstool Sports, there's a legendary Barstool video where Dave went down to West Virginia, I think in 2009, and he profiled this thing called Rough and Rowdy Brawl, which mm -hmm. was basically guys beating the shit out of each other in West Virginia in a wonky hotel ballroom, yeah. kind of like this. And it's, a, it's an old school legendary piece of Barstool content and part of the lure of Barstool, which is Dave was down there in a tuxedo and just interviewing you know, inter interesting people and profiling something that you just don't ever see, which is basically average guys fighting mm -hmm. in a ring. Um, flash forward, we decided last March to have Dave and our team go back to Rough and Rowdy. We decided the week before, we went to uh, Welsh, West Virginia, and we decided to do it as a pay-per-view. Mm -hmm. So we cobbled together you know, a payment authentication platform, we cobbled together a live stream platform, and we sent Dave and the creative guys and the production guys down to West Virginia. We did it, we didn't really know what we were doing. We did it on a whim, we put it together in five days with about 10 people. Mm -hmm and we sold 12,000 pay-per-views. Mm -hmm. And Dave came back from West Virginia and we said we should buy Rough and Rowdy. Yeah. And the reason that we said we should buy Rough and Rowdy is for me, it was five hours of content. So they did 40 fights in one night. Uh, we charged 4.99 mm -hmm. and it was electric content. It was hilarious. Whether you liked boxing, whether you liked you know, backwoods West Virginia, whether you like just Dave on the <laughs> mic. huge backyard West Virginia <laughs> big, market. Big fan of that. Yeah. Um, it was incredible content. For me personally, it was, I, had, I thought it was some of Dave's best content that I've ever seen Dave mm -hmm. do. 
And so we made the endeavor to buy a West Virginia boxing promoter, a gentleman named Chris Smith. He and his wife have been running Rough and Rowdy for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And what we knew is that our humor plus a really unique sporting event that we own the rights to, that we produce exclusively, and that we could bring to our fans and give them great value mm -hmm. was an awesome combination. So how many of uh, are those are you so now doing? So we've done four. Mm -hmm. So uh, we did one in December. We have, we've done a few uh, this spring, this winter slash spring. Our next event is in Youngstown, Ohio on August 5th. The last one we did in Charlotte, North Carolina, Bill Burr did the announcing with us. And what's interesting about Rough and Rowdy is we think it's electric content. We have a very good feel for what our audience thinks is funny, and we think Rough and Rowdy is funny and compelling. Uh, the third piece is it's a little bit sports and a little bit comedy, and we think that that's our sweet spot in terms of the type of content that we make. And then the fourth thing is that it is, it, if, you, if, it, if you miss it, it's over. Mm -hmm. So there's time sensitivity to Rough and Rowdy where you want to be there, you want to see Big Cat singing the, the national anthem, you want to hear Dave on the ones and twos. So we thought, we thought that this was a way for us to create content that we own exclusively, mm -hmm. to be able to bring it to our audience ad-free and in a way that they could enjoy it. And pay for it, right? And it's pay it's for all it. pay-per-views. All pay-per-view. How has the, the growth been on that? You said 12,000 for the it's initial awesome. test. Yeah, we did 12,000 for the first one. We broke the second one. Everything that could have possibly gone wrong went wrong. Uh, we had 60,000 people trying to buy Rough and Rowdy simultaneously in the processing. No one believes Barstool Sports when we show up and we're like, Julie's are really going to show up. They're going to want to buy it. They're going to want to buy it right now. And everybody's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've done way bigger things than this. But the difference with our audience is there's FOMO, yeah. and they want to watch it now. So yeah. we've grown exponentially, both in price as well as the production of what we're doing. Um, you know, and then certainly um, the overall experience itself. So the most recent one. Uh... So the most recent one we did in Charlotte, we did 40,000 pay-per-views. We raised the price to day of to be 19.99, mm -hmm. which was a significant jump in a year to go from 4.99 to 19.99. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, in in doing the experiment, this was like a fun thing to do. It yep. fit the brand uh, and sort of what you guys uh, are known for. Uh, looking at it from a from sort of the business perspective, mm -hmm. how did you approach it, ensuring that like we're going to do this, but we have to be profitable on it from day one. Sure. How much of that was part of the conversation versus like, um, this is cool and let's just do it and we'll figure it out. Most everything we do, Dave has great gut instinct. I'm able to operationalize it. And we knew that we were making a big bet on Rough and Rowdy. This also happened timing wise right on the heels of ESPN. Mm -hmm. So ESPN, we had one show on ESPN, that was not gonna be our path. Mm -hmm. And then lo and behold comes Rough and Rowdy. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't worried about profitability from the jump. I've never been worried about profitability. We are profitable. What I was worried about is can we create something that nobody else is doing? Mm -hmm. Can we charge a price for it that we think is fair and lets us continue to grow the business, but that our audience feels like is a good value and a great experience? Mm -hmm. um, every time we've done Rough and Rowdy, there's been a UFC fight within, let's say, either the next night or the next week. And the price point on that is $50. Mm -hmm. And the timing, the, the time span of the event itself is fractional. So. Mm -hmm. 
you know, it is a profitable business for us. We're reinvesting all of the profit into the business itself. We're expand, expanding the states. We're, um, you know, adding a tons of bells and whistles to the experience itself while still keeping it raw and rough mm -hmm. and raw. Um, but growing, you know, what our belief is, is that we have a different view of the world and we are able to create and produce content that nobody else can by virtue of our relationship with our fans. How do you, uh, how, a significant portion of your, of the Barstool business is merchandising, right? Yep. It, it is direct payments. How much yep. is it today? So we are, from our business model perspective, we're, you know, about 30 to 40 percent direct to consumer. Right. Rough and Rowdy is the extension of that. You know, we've done a couple things this year, which is one, how do we move into subscription platforms, right? right? We went to linear audio with our partnership with Sirius. We've really tripled down on our merchandise business, creating premium clothing, creating new lines of clothing uh, and apparel. Rough and Rowdy was our first foray into pay-per-view. I would argue we are on the cutting edge. I don't see anyone else doing pay-per-view consistently on the internet the way we're doing it. I, I frankly actually don't see anyone else doing a lot of pay-per-view on the internet. Mm -hmm. um, but it enables us to create things where our audience wants to buy something to wear, they want to buy something to listen to for 12 mm -hmm. hours, or they want to buy something because it's a Friday night mm -hmm. and they're looking for something to do with their friends. I want to go into some of the other parts of the business in a second, but I'm curious, um, so uh, just, just stick to Rough and Rowdy first, one more, one more minute. The front door is me, pay, if I wanted to watch it, me paying whatever the price is yep. to, to get the pay-per-view. But as you are building up this business, is it just the money that you're getting from pay-per-views? Or, or are you looking at other things that are monetizable both at so the event or just... You know, I look at everything together. So, you know, what's cool about Rough and Rowdy is, you know, we know a lot about you when you buy Rough and Rowdy. The, one of the things that we see is that... Rough and Rowdy is a social event. So typically one person buys it and five to 10 people watch it alongside that person. We love that. Mm -hmm. So we've expanded that to now understand, you know, where do these guys live? Um, you know, have they bought one Rough and Rowdy, multiple Rough and Rowdies? Are they buying Rough and Rowdy and merchandise? Are they coming to our live events? Are people traveling from the Northeast to go to, you know, in this case, Charlotte or to West Virginia or to Ohio to be part of the event? So we're able to become much, much smarter about who our audience is mm -hmm. and what they are interested in from us, which enables us to be better at creating things that are for them. I want to take a quick break here. If you find this session interesting, there's a lot more we can tell you about it in our event briefings. After every summit, we'll release a briefing on what was discussed at town halls, working groups, and state sessions. If you subscribe to Digiday Plus, you can get the briefing too. Digiday Plus is our premium subscription product, and if you subscribe, you get the Digiday magazine, event briefings, exclusive research, and invites to member events. It's only $395 a year, and if you want a 25% discount, enter code PODCAST at checkout. To learn more, visit digiday.com, and you will see the Digiday Plus tab on the menu. Now, back to the episode. Consumer revenue, I guess, whether it's commerce, whether it's licensing, it's a, it's a big area of focus for us, even mm -hmm. in just our coverage. Uh, obviously, Barstool is unique in the sense that like, not everyone is Barstool, yeah. and so uh, uh, you are allowed to kind of focus on these, on these yeah. uh, uh, deeper communities. How do you guys approach it in a way where, let's, let's say I, I'm a stoolie, and yep. I love buying Saturdays Are For The Boys yep. flags, and maybe I'll buy a pay-per-view, but like, how do you go about 
just ensuring uh, that there's only so much you can totally. get out of a person. Like they're totally. only going to buy so many things. Yeah. Like how much do you think about that? I think and how about do you that all it? the time. I think about two things. Like there's this big joke called the barstool difference, which is basically when we screw up something, which we screw up stuff all the time. People are like the barstool difference. Yeah. And my feeling is when you ask a, a fan to pay for something from you, there's a huge responsibility in that. You've got to have a great product. You've got to make it easy for them. You've got to listen to their feedback. You've got to be adaptive to it. We've done a, you know, a good and getting better job of that in our merchandise business, and we've sought to do the same thing in pay-per-view. I think about it a lot because you can only go back to the well so many times until people are like, screw you, I don't want to pay for yet another thing. Uh, what we know, though, is that there's no one who does what we do. So one, we can be premium in the price that we command. And two, so long as we stick to who we are and what we make, there's, you know, people feel good about buying things from Barstool Sports. The other piece of it, though, is I'm looking to grow new audiences, right? Mm -hmm. Saturdays for the boys is extends way beyond a stoolie audience, right? There are moms with beach houses in New Jersey buying Saturdays for the boys. That somehow does right? not seem that surprising. Yeah, no, it's a great business. <laughs> um, so we will extend the brands that we have into new places, right? Mm. So, you know, I think about that a lot. I think about the college market. I love the college market. I think it's one of the most underserved audiences because it's very difficult. The, you know, it's very difficult. There's a very low attention span. It's hard to connect with that audience, but that is the most elusive audience. What college kids want is different than what a 40-year-old stoolie from Massachusetts wants. Mm -hmm. And so that's been, how, that's been part of our success in growing Barstool, which is we have fans who just follow us on Instagram or who just watch us on Snapchat who don't know anything about Dave or the backstory or the blog. We have people who follow us on the blog or follow us on Twitter who love Rough and Rowdy, could care less about Saturdays for the boys. So that's where the data piece of it gets really important because then I'm able to say, okay, this is the profile of this person. This is what they want from us. This is what they like. This is what they don't like. This is what they'll buy. This is how much they'll buy it for versus other audiences who may have a completely different profile. And over time, we will build a platform that says, this audience should get podcasts, T-shirts, live events in the Southeast. This audience should get video, the blog, and premium hoodies and live events in Boston. So that's what we're building at Barstool, which is you know, ultimately, I think, what sets us up for success. How do you go about, I guess, targeting these, I guess, different groups effectively, where if you know there's a particular profile of a person who's like, they're going to watch a pay-per-view, yeah. making sure that they know yeah. that there's a pay-per-view to buy. So, I mean... If anyone follows Barstool, we'll like hammer you over the head with whatever it is we're <laughs> promoting at any given time. So we will get smarter about that. We have a big hammer in terms of our social footprint. We have 700 social accounts. We can trend instantaneously on Twitter just by virtue of our footprint, which is very rare. Um, but we will get smarter over time in terms of being more nuanced in terms of what we offer people, when we offer it to them, how and why we offer it. So, and the other big piece of it is we listen to, you know, we listen to our audience really closely. Like it's in our, we have 250 college accounts. And the only two things that we can, as far as we can tell and we think we know that college kids care about is Jewel and Fortnite. So then we're thinking about, all right, what are we going to do around Jewel, and what are we doing around Fortnite? 
So that's, we also understand just by virtue of, we talk to these guys on the internet all the time. We are deeply connected with them. Most of the people we hire at Barstool worked for Barstool in some capacity in college, either as viceroys or ambassadors or whatever that may be. So we have a good pipeline into what people want and that enables us to be smarter about what we create. Okay. Uh, so Barstool is Barstool, mm -hmm. uh, which means it's not for a lot of advertisers. Yep. How much time are you thinking about the advertising side of your business? And is it a business that's growing for you guys? Yeah, I mean, our advertising business has grown, I think, 700% since I joined. So mm -hmm. one is we're seeing a lot of brand advertisers move to Barstool. Um, and the reason, I think there's two reasons for that. One is podcasting, which is an arena you know, in which we're very strong, is becoming mainstream in terms of brand advertising. In the last two years, Podcasts have really predominantly been driven by direct response advertisers, not brand advertisers. Two is advertisers, in my opinion, are having a harder and harder time breaking through and getting their message and their product to resonate. And pound for pound, Barstool does a very good job of that. When we get behind a product, our audience understands that a brand is taking a bet on us and, and shows I would say unfair or outsized loyalty to that brand by virtue of their association with Barstool. Um, and then I spend a lot of time thinking about it because I want brands to have a great experience. So I want the content that they're connected to to be on brand for them. To mm. Some brands like the spicy stuff, some brands like the mild stuff, some brands like stuff in the middle. Um, and that's what we spend a lot of time, you know, hire Deirdre Lester. Do she you think in any way it's a, it's, a, it's a limited, market for you guys? Because I mean, the general thinking could be there's only certain types of brands that mm -hmm. would be interested in working with Barstool. Has that ever been an issue? Is that continue to be an issue? Or are you finding success in finding I mean, non-beer brands, at, for example? Yeah, you know? look, you find Kraft Heinz working with Barstool Sports. Mm -hmm. You find General Mills working with Barstool Sports. Like conservative Midwestern CPG companies. That's not when you think of people who advertise with Barstool Sports, sure. that's not who you think about. And we've done, you know, I think we've done arguably a great job in working with them. They've been awesome partners back. Mm -hmm. So uh, over the last two years, you guys have done two TV shows. Um, yes. One was Super Bowl, yep. Comedy Central. Comedy Central, yeah. And then, of course, the ESPN one, which was, I think, just one episode yep. before it all went down. Um, how, much of, how much is TV in your future? Like, how, how big of a focus area is that for not you guys? Not a focus. Why not? You know, I think... One, we're an IP company, so you know, what I think we do better than anybody is grow IP. We understand brands that young people will resonate with. We understand how to talk to our fans at their level. Um, we like to control our own IP. We, this place is a pirate ship, so you know, if you listen to the Vox discussion, like, hey, who's owning the rights to a show? It's not the, in this case, Mm -hmm. The network likes to own the rights to the show. I want to own the rights to anything that we produce. Barstool should own the rights. Two is our experience in television, which is an outlier experience, has been we come up with a creative idea, we produce it, we bring all the audience. And for anyone who's worked in television, it's a lot of effort for 22 minutes. Mm -hmm. And my feeling is I don't know why I would go go to a television medium where I actually think what's happening is television is moving into the internet. Mm -hmm. And what we should be thinking about is how do we build the best video product, the best storytelling, the best storylines 
within the environment that we know the best. Would it be the same, uh, same answer for, uh, I guess, over the top, specifically the television platforms, right? Whether it's a Netflix or a Hulu or an sure. Amazon. Would you be open to that, or is that also we like, no? We do better in subscription environments, right? Sirius is a great example. We have an awesome partnership with Sirius. Mm -hmm. it, all of our content is behind a paywall. They have a platform that is creator-friendly, right? When you look at Stern's, you know, you look at the evolution of Stern and Sirius's role, you can, you can draw parallels to Barstool. Um, there's no reason Barstool can't build its own OTT, mm -hmm. and very likely we will do that. My question is, you know, what is the role of a network for a digital creator? And, you know, TV is still where I think TV is the single best medium to be famous. Mm -hmm. We have such a big platform in the internet, I would argue that we don't need television to drive that kind of fame. Okay, great. I think we have time for a few questions. Anyone have questions for Erica? When do you think you'll come out with the OTT product? <laughs> Um, not real soon. So I would, I would say we will, you know, one of the things we did when we did Sirius was, let me just take a quick step back. Flashing back to two summers ago, Barstool had three podcasts and they maybe made a video besides the rundown, which is our daily kind of internet recap show. They made one or two videos a month. Now we're making a lot of video every single day. Sirius was an important partner for us because it enabled us to get to linear, right? I was able to stitch together 12 to 15 to 17 hours of radio. Um, we need to do the same thing with video. How do we stitch together Dave's pizza reviews with the rundown, with Larry's picks from Pardon My Take, or Casey Smith's football show, or whatever that may be. So we're working on creating the linear package. And then, you know, I think the tech part of it is the easiest part. But for us, it's what's a really great channel from Barstool Sports? What should that look like? What should be on it? Is our content good enough by our definition, not by anybody else's, to be there? So that's what we're focused on. Um, wouldn't, that sounds costly, or is it not, in terms of getting everything together to actually build out I don't a think product such as this? No. I, I actually think that nobody talks about this, but I think the single most interesting thing about Barstool is how efficiently we produce content. We, our creators will produce content literally out of any orifice in Barstool Sports. Like, <laughs> if there's a camera and somebody to hold it and somebody who wants to be on a camera, we will make content right then and there. So, you know, that's what enables us to be so successful because we're able to produce in real time. I also think there's a new definition of what premium content looks like, and especially what premium content looks like to young audiences, and it doesn't have to be quote-unquote expensive. All right, well, I think that's all the time we have. Erica, this was cool. terrific. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thanks. Yeah. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you liked our show, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Anchor.fm. Leave us a review. We love to read what you think. Thanks again for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode.